to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Come one, come all to the very first episode of the High Fantasy Podcast where we are discussing writing and all those wonderful good things. And so, like the bumper said, we are a Broken Jars Podcast uh, Network. We have your good friend, Alex, and our new friend, Colin. So say hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Very well. I guess I don't need to be called the director in this one, huh? Oh, you're still the director. You're still running. You're still telling us what to do. That's true. I'm, I'm the one that pushed for this one. And uh, yeah, this has kind of been my baby that I've been sitting on for a couple of months because I wanted to do it way back in like fucking ever ago. But now we get to do the thing of the fantasy and the sci-fi and the writing, which is like all three of my favorite things. So doing another podcast with Jacob was a no-brainer, and I had to bring in Colin, who's my beta reader, because I can't do this without him. So that's why it's all of us. It's always nice to be included. <laughs> it is nice, isn't it? So, well, we're gonna, I'm going to give it over to Alex, because I don't want to be the host of this podcast. I'll let her do that. <laughs> <laughs> so since the podcast will kind of be the focus of like fantasy and sci-fi and writing... The first episode, I guess, should just be about those three general topics. So getting into the genre subjects, let's talk about fantasy and sci-fi. Like, what do you think defines those genres? Fantasy tends to be the more, you know, mythic, you know, Dungeons and Dragons kind of related Middle Earth. I mean, there's urban fantasy, lots of other different things there, too. But when most people think of fantasy, that's probably the first place their head goes is, you know, Lord of the Rings or Narnia or something like that. Yeah, those certainly are the, the big ones of the past couple of generations. Colin, do you have a definition? Honestly, it's one of the ones I struggle with in terms of what does it take to reach a fantasy level of story? If it's yeah. just make-believe, is that fantasy? Oh. I always went to the definition I was taught in elementary school, is that if there is something in it that can't possibly have been true, then it's fantasy. If you have a single talking cat and nothing else magical, then it's fantasy. If you have any form of magic, even if it's like really, really low magic, which is also something we'll get into, then it's fantasy. And if everything could have possibly happened in a form of real life, then it wasn't. It's just fiction. So is alternate history just straight fiction and not fantasy in the slightest? Depends, because like well, some alternate, alternate history that has magic have talking cats in it. I haven't found anything that is alternate history that didn't have something supernatural in it, because usually they have some form of that. And if I find a, an example of that, then I will hold it up as like that's the thing. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, usually fiction completely made something that couldn't have happened. That's a, usually a good definition. Yeah, but then what do you do with, like, sci-fi? Which is, like, it's usually futuristic, and therefore it could happen? I mean, it technically could. Uh, sci-fi, like you said, tends to have a, a larger technological component to it. 
So, you know, a lot of what you're dealing with is instead of wizards, you're dealing with robots or computers or space travel and aliens. And it's because I guess fantasy can also be sci-fi, but sci-fi or they can, I guess they can, they can interact because you could have like robots with magic. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Sort of. How? <laughs> It's just like, I don't know where you can draw the line with sci-fi and speculative fiction sometimes. Because there's like space marine shit and whatever, that's obviously kind of out there. Glory to the Emperor. Yeah, but there's like, with something that's kind of, mm, like iRobot, I guess, is kind of like, that could happen. That's kind of the point of it. It's, I don't know where to draw the line or have a good definition for it. I mean, I think Even further, boys, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think sci-fi doesn't rely on boundaries as much as fantasy does. Sci-fi, sci-fi is a genre that exists. It doesn't define itself by things that couldn't happen or magic or whatnot. It's just purely things that are speculative, and a lot of times. Hmm. Yeah, I think sci-fi tends to be much more of a junk drawer genre versus fantasy, which is tend to be a bit more specific. Where sci-fi like is all over the map. It's like, well, I don't know. Really, it's sci-fi. You know, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just fucking sci-fi. Whatever. I have a story to tell, and I'm gonna make up the in-betweens to get me there. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> or I have this interest in tech. I'm going to make a story so I can talk about it. Oh God. There's a yeah. lot of that. Yeah, uh, especially if it comes with fantasy and world building. I have a world, I will insert a story. Uh, but uh, even more with like defining genres is that there is like high and low fantasy and soft and hard fiction or science fiction. And apparently high and low fantasy distinctions can be kind of odd because I usually think of it as like, Fantasy magic stuff is everywhere, and that's high fantasy. Or it's kind of like just more everyday things, and that's low fantasy because magic is very rare. And that's what I usually work with. But apparently, that's not the literary definition. The literary definition says that high fantasy is on another world, and low fantasy is on Earth. No matter anything else. Weird. I wouldn't have guessed that. No. Yeah, but if you think about it, it's very hard to find story that is on a different planet that doesn't have high fantasy elements of what I would call high fantasy. I had to think really hard to find one that I might call it, and even then I realized that might be more high fantasy-esque than some other people would say, so it just... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get examples here, and I can't come up with anything. Yeah. Even, even the, the low fantasy... Not low fantasy, obviously, because that's not the definition we're going through. But even the low magic, straight military type of fantasy that doesn't rely on heavy magic use and fantastical elements still take place in scenarios that are completely unearth-like. I mean, it seems to be just like if they are described of taking place on planet Earth, then yeah. it's low fantasy, which I don't get it, but it's literary. And the high-low fantasy that we're used to of scale has to do with role-playing games, which is probably why it comes to mind so easy. 
I just can't think of a low fantasy setting that doesn't take place on Earth. Yeah. Which is odd. Yeah, and if we have listeners, they can suggest it, but... (laughs) I'm sure we'll have some eventually. I think we have two at the moment. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is a live podcast? No. Not yet. We're not live yet. Um, Then there's uh, soft and hard science fiction, but I would also just say soft and hard magic systems that get into there. Like, with the science fiction, it's mostly, like, do they describe the technical details of how anything happens, or do they just kind of hand wave it if it's soft and things like that? Right, because yeah, beautiful when, ion engines that just work. Right, <laughs> uh, yeah, because that's how I would describe it too. It's just that you know, they're they're the hard hard sci-fi is you know tech very technical, where soft sci-fi is just like yeah, robots, <laughs> you know. Or, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, why I have an, an warp, infinite magazine warp drive. <laughs> Yeah. You know, as much as I love Star Trek, it was, you know, it's more soft fantasy or soft sci-fi than hard sci-fi. It also doesn't focus on the sci-fi aspect quite so much. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And then, like, with uh, magic systems as well, you get the kind of soft, it just happens. And then there's the really hard detail, like, you have to have this ingredient and that thing and do this thing is mathematical. And that's how you get your result. Which, it can be fun depending on your preference, but then there's, like, rules about how you should use them as a writer for it to come off right readers. Like, am I ever glad Sanderson voiced his opinion on this before we anyone else had to deal with it? Yes. Because I'm 100% bought into Sanderson's opinions on this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, you gotta, when, you gotta uh, assume that your listeners don't, maybe don't know what you're talking Brandon about. Brandon Sanderson being the author of the Stromlight Archives, the Mistborn series, and a handful of other series, as well as finishing the Wheel of Time series, posited the magical theories where the more you use magic to solve your problems in a, as a novel point of view, the more your magic needs to be explained. So if you're going to rely on magic to solve problems, then you need to explain the way that magic works, or it'll feel cheap and not very... And that's when you get into problems of, like, deus ex machina, which is, like, hand of God, just saving everything. And that's what people usually just like, that doesn't... That's not good. God damn it. Um, So there's, like, Tolkien, as an example, he didn't have magic used to get people out of trouble, it just kind of is a miracle, and when it happens, it makes sense because the amount it actually affects things is comparable to the amount that you understand it. And in some situations, it functions similar to the Chekhov's gun, where as long as you explain that it's a possibility that this thing could happen, earlier in the story, it won't hurt you if you use it to save your protagonist because you already established that it works. Yep. Yep. Like eagles flying in and saving everybody. <laughs> yeah, so Sanderson is a... Uh, he makes everything very technical as much as he can. I kind of think he does it like, it works because hand wave, but this is how it works. And then he gets technical after it. And yeah, and I don't can't think of anyone off the top of my head that is very numinous, miraculous, soft magic system at the moment because I don't usually read it. Because it usually struggles to justify itself. 
Yeah, so it's so Dresden Files also, like everything has, it makes sense, there's reasons, it's explained, even though it can't possibly happen. Yeah. Okay, and I also think Butcher does. How that. awesome Dresden is. I have a podcast about Dresden Files. Thank you very much. I yes, talk about you it do. all the time. <laughs> you should come on, actually. Why haven't I brought you on that one yet? I don't know. Yeah, still. Um, hmm. So, do you guys th think of other people that do any of these things really well, like the high fantasy, low fantasy, the hard and soft sci-fi magic and stuff? I was thinking ahead of time about Malazan because I will always talk about Malazan given the opportunity. I think I'm the one that told you to read that. I think I regret that now. Um, it's constantly recommended on every fantasy forum I've ever witnessed. Yeah, but now you're bugging me about it. Because <laughs> you should read the damn thing. I've tried. I'm on my third try to get through the first book. The first book is uniquely... I don't want to use the word bad because it's a great book on its own, but it, it struggles to explain itself without the rest of the series, and that's a hard thing for any author. Yeah, I, I will say that is series. amazingly high fantasy, and okay. nothing is explained, to the point that I have no idea what's going on. You will, you will get through all ten books of the original series and still not understand everything that's going on, and that's kind of... He does a great job of, in my opinion, point of view, because a lot of things are happening that the characters don't even think about as being unusual because they are already aware of these things. And as a reader, well, just deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Um... But his magical system is very, very obscure, relies on piecemeal knowledge that you get as the series goes on, Never fully explains the magical system at all. You kind Does of, it get them out of trouble? And the funny thing with his magical system is sometimes it saves them, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes characters end up in situations where the magical system is just going to fuck them over. And because they're soldiers and the Malazans don't care about anything, they get themselves out of it. His magical system sometimes can change the thing, sometimes doesn't. They just, they're so determined that they get themselves out of the situation that the magic was going to fuck them over in. I guess I just need to push through the yeah. first book. Jesus. Nah. <laughs> or you could, you know, not hate yourself and read something you enjoy. Well, you know, if I'm trying to write fantasy, I should read fantasy. It's one of those cornerstones of the genre now. I need to know what's going on in it. I don't this... think I'll ever read Wheel of Time, though. I read the first book. I finished the first book. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> the second Malazan book is completely different than the first one, but if you can't get through Wheel of Time, then... Well, th there were... Mm, I've read things significantly better than Wheel of Time. I can't put up with that many books of that stale, I guess, writing. Hair-tugging and... Gen everything is as tropey as you can possibly get, which is another thing I want to you talk about. What are the biggest tropes of these genres? You do say that, but he also helped define a lot of the genres. I know, but I should have read it at the time it was new yeah. and not the time that well, it's we the tropes that people are running away from. 
he's the farm boy that is the orphan chosen one that can wield the big, great power and super combat skills and then defeats evil 15 books later. And all of the women want to sleep with him. God damn it. Uh, I mean, a lot of the problem is that these people grew up and wrote in the era of Tolkien and his shadow. And especially Eye of the World, when you read the Eye of the World, that is a straight-up fanfiction copy of the start of Fellowship of the Ring. I guess. It's painfully similar. It is so straightforwardly similar that it's painful. But he hits his stride later on in the series. Sometimes it's still painful. He can't write gender for the life of him. The women tug their hair and bitch about the men, and the men constantly question the other men's prowess with women. Yeah, I I disliked how easy that was going to get repeated over and over again. I wish the other guy was here and explain everything. Oh, my God. Ever recognizing. Oh, God. No, let's move on. What are the tropes of (laughs) fantasy and sci-fi? And I'll just list everything that I remember Wheel of Time. (laughs) (laughs) Farm Boy starting out his journey. My first novel has that. (laughs) Codex Alera did it, and it was fantastic. True. Codex Alera did stick to a lot of tropes, though. Yeah, but that was kind of like the purpose of it. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do Codex. I couldn't. I I I just... I like Codex Alera. I just thought his writing was a little stale in it, and he stuck to tropes a little too hard. I think he was trying to make it as tropey as possible and make it as awesome as possible while doing that, and I think it worked. Uh, he also just took like a, a different tone because it was high fantasy. True. Yeah, it was like epic fantasy. Oh yeah, do so, we want to try epic fantasy? Is Dresden high fantasy? It's high magic urban fantasy. Because urban, it's a different setting. But it happens on Earth. Exactly, urban. So it's not high fantasy. Not according to literary people. Not according to literary. So don't go get a degree in literature because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Talk to the fantasy nerds like this podcast. (laughs) I mean, tropes you're going to see just all the way around is like, um, you know, every... You have the... um, the, you know the MacGuffin. There's always going to be a giant, a giant MacGuffin, especially in fantasy. There's that mystical power that you have to go get or obtain or destroy or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting when you're trying to deal with it, which is what like Dresden can do so well is that like changes, which everything matters the most to Dresden is he doesn't get the big power. He just has to save his little girl. And he does do a shit ton of damage while doing that, but it's so much more costly just because it's his little girl and not the entire planet. I got really tired of it. The entire planet's going to die. Right, right. And that's you know, that's something, especially you're seeing more in like the mo- in movies and stuff, is you know everyone's having to save the world and destroy the city and you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. And I didn't like Avengers anyway. Well, yeah, but there's, there's other, like, I'm actually starting to see people go away from it. Like, uh, cat, like the new Captain America movie, the world wasn't gonna end, you know. But it was, it was really good. I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how much we want to get into also like film stuff. But. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd say let's get talking to like films and games as a 
pertain to like story structure because Colin and I bitch to each other about all the things Game of Thrones does wrong all the time. So, which is yeah. another thing I couldn't finish. But I gave up on Game of Thrones. Like, well, the past season has been pretty good, just because it's new. I think that's but, what everyone says, but I'm like, screw it. Yeah. But there's also like George R. R. Martin has done the thing of con- subverting the tropes so often that I was just really, really happy when the obvious thing happened. He didn't try to weasel himself out of it. It happened, because it needed to. Thank fucking God. Yeah, I was happy with that. <laughs> so when... Oh, yeah, so when will you just, like, completely give up on a series? Like, you're just like, I'm done. Quit. <laughs> um, well, I'm probably going to watch it until it's done, which is, like, well, this Yeah, season. but I'm more saying, like, our books or whatever, because you, you gave oh, up on the I, books, I, right? I gave up on the books, yes. I read the first three. I tried book four. I couldn't make it through the Brienne chapter. I gave up and I made Colin tell me everything. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and yeah, there's like, uh, I dislike the way he writes about the everyday minutia detail because I just wanted to get to the good part already because I hate descriptions of travel which is just, and then you did this, and then you went that, and then, like, that is what made me stop with Rian Chapters, that she was just traveling, talking to people, nothing was important, and I hated it. And it was a very interesting experience once with uh, the Farseer trilogy by Robin Hobb, which, like, the first book was pretty good. And it was like, I was, eh, it's kind of iffy, and then the end, I really liked it. And the epilogue was so confusing that I had to start the second book immediately. And it did, and I couldn't put that book down. It broke me as a functioning human being. I finished it too fast. I was reading during classes and everything. It's, I couldn't control myself. And then I start the third book, which had a slow start because at the end of the second, he had to recover, which I get. It took a long time to recover from something like that. But then it was just really, really slow travel, and nothing was happening, and I gave up and made Colin tell me the rest of it. Yeah, so I just like travel. Just don't have travel, okay? <laughs> so, so Hitchhiker's Guide, not your thing, huh? Well, actually, I tried to read Hitchhiker's Guide, and I got really confused. And then I realized I started on the third book instead of the first. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my all-time favorite books, is Hitchhiker's uh, Guide. I noticed you have a podcast named after it. I do. But, yeah, there was... Because I, I was listening to the audio version, and I, it was spring break in college, and I started laughing so hard, I nearly wrecked my car. Like, <laughs> it was so bad. It's so good. Yeah, I, I was really enjoying all the jokes and stuff. I just, like, what's going on? Uh, I wonder the most about Assassin's Quest is where she lost her stride. And I can't, yeah. I mean, I can't question Robin Hobbin what she's doing because she's she incredibly she's, successful. Yeah, she's incredibly successful. And a lot of her stories are utterly fantastic. But the last half of Assassin's Quest lost me. The, the last half, the first half, too. Jesus Christ, I didn't get to the last half. It started off slow, but uh, what was it? Assassin's Apprentice and then Royal Assassin, right? Royal Assassin was just a straight that was amazing. Horse, horse gallop all the way through without any issue. And, I mean, obviously it's going to have some trouble starting up again. But it, 
she knew what she was doing, and I gave her the credit for the first half of the book that I know, I know Fitz, I know where we're going, and we're I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And then it just it never found its footing. Yeah, and you've told me the ending, and I I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's like that would be a fantastic ending, but it doesn't seem like she pulled it off the right way. Well, the like. The last three pages of the book solved all the issues that the main characters had faced up to that point. And I mean, it was Joy Machina the entire way through. I mean, she established that let's we gotta do this, but she didn't pull it off. Which is very, very strange considering how successful yeah. she is I, and how good the fir- the second book was. It's just, uh, I don't know. Like, the first book had the issue of a slow start. Then she managed to... I mean, I loved the ending of... The ending was good. Yeah. No, she no, she fantastically did it, but I don't know if she just lost track of the third book or what, but... Yeah. It's the only book that I've ever grudgingly finished. And I know you <laughs> mentioned this on our agenda of things that we had to give up on, but, oh my God, did I ever have to... I didn't give up on it, but I finished it and just didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so moving on a different trope is a, a lot of things in fantasy involve gods appearing and doing things. And, and sometimes I love it, and other times I think it can get worn out. But I think I just stay away from the times where they do it badly because all that comes to mind is things that I loved it. Uh, do you guys think of anything that it happened badly? Well... Can we start off on what you didn't like? Which ones you didn't enjoy? I guess, like, kind of like chosen one type things. That's sometimes not always a god or something, but if it's something like that in which it can take away the tension because you can't be hurt because you've got the sanctuary of that god. <laughs> the, uh, things like that. But other times, like, when gods get involved and fuck things up, like the Vlad Taltosh series by Stephen Bruce. That's amazing. So I'll get to Stephen Bruce eventually. He's you on, need to get to Stephen Bruce now. He's on the list. I'm in the Black Company right now. I'm getting there. Uh, I mean, Jacob, uh, do you I just, have any? No, I just feel kind of bad because I haven't read like half this stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I was going to... Oh, God, I don't want to bring it up every time, but it's the most recent major fantasy work that I've read that's impacted me. But Malazan has normal people can ascend to godhood through unusual circumstances, but oftentimes the gods in the series, as unbelievably powerful as they sometimes can be, can be completely impotent in times. Like, they can make all these grand plans and set things up, and like a fucking regular person who does the one wrong thing that nobody would have expected can screw up all their plans. And it's a balance between how powerful their their image is and just how much the gods don't actually impact the world of Malazan. They can make a huge difference, but dear God, can they just royally screw things up sometimes. It's the yeah, it's always- uh, non-omniscient god, yeah. oh, right? God. Infinite power, but no foresight. Yeah, a lot of, that is a a lot of the gods mixture. are just people who 
ascended at the right time to godhood and they're just the same person they were to start off with. They just now can travel quicker and control <laughs> magic. Yeah, I guess uh, a series that comes to mind as being fairly decent at it was um, Jennifer Fallon's Hithran Chronicles. It was actually two series. And there are gods there, and they're just aspects of things that are in life, like the god of thievery. Thieves will always be there for as long as there is a dog that will steal the bone from the other dog, things like that. And there's a god of war, god of love, things like that. Um, and they get more powerful as those things that is their aspect happens more often. So God of War at one point tries to instigate a war so he can be more powerful. And then it doesn't happen because the main character of that series is pretty awesome. And it's, uh, they have their abilities in their realm, but then they have this favored race of people who can do magic, and those people can't do harm to anyone else. They're absolute vegetarians. They have panic attacks and people talk about killing and hunting and things. But if they create a child with humans, that child can do magic and has none of the restrictions. So they're called a demon child. <laughs> Nephilim. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Um, I had two points. The Malazan is similar in that the more a god's aspect is worshipped, the powerful they get. So they try to actively encourage worship among humans because they want to... The gods are constantly bickering among themselves. So they want to beat each other by encouraging humans to worship their aspect more and more. But along those lanes is um, Stormlight, where you've got the virtuous aspects that are required to basically ascend into a magical, not godhood, but... Knighthood. Knighthood, yeah. And the more you respect the virtues of your calling the more you get the magical abilities of that calling and if you don't follow them then you lose those abilities yeah it's interesting how preachy sanderson get, can get <laughs> in stormlight while still making it fun that okay he pulled yeah. it off that it's kind of fun but that's bordering on really preachy when you read it you don't feel like it's preachy, but when you sit back and look at it, mm -hmm. you, you kind of question his yeah. goals. Yeah, but I guess, like, you read uh, Kingkiller Chronicles. Do you remember yeah. uh, Telu, the, the story of Telu, the god? It's Telu. The god that one people worship that isn't, you know, the interesting one? Because it's not interesting, it was just a carbon copy of Jesus, and I disliked that. And I really, really, really liked the one small hint that it was a lie. I mean, the second book of King Killers also lost me. Oh. Let's just go have sex with Phelian for like six chapters. I, I didn't think it lasted six chapters, but... It lasted it, way longer than it needed to. No, I, I, I didn't like the ninjas that didn't understand how babies were made. Oh, the female ninjas up in the north or whatever mm -hmm. it was, like... That, no, it's like every time they have sex, they should have a baby, right? And, and that doesn't happen, therefore that can't possibly be true. And it's just like, how do you have this race of people that are that stupid? How do you exist? Yeah, that, that was my biggest gripe with the series. Either they're not human, yeah, that or they was to explain some shit. Iffy. Okay, so we're also getting into least favorite tropes of things <laughs> just not making sense. Any other least favorite tropes? Least favorite... 
I know you didn't go too far into Wheel of Time, but I mean, I I love Wheel of Time. I love everything he did with the series, but his regions were so defined by character traits that it was somewhat silly at times. Yeah, like, like just characters that's just function insert into story. But even like I know you're trying to create a ethnic difference between regions in your worlds. But when you just sit back and be like, this city and region is the Spanish area and this region is the French area, it's like, it's just not going to feel realistic. Yeah. And yeah. especially when the differences that. between them aren't explained in any way. No, I mean, they're just, just like, they're there, but you don't get yep. to know why. It, it was, it worked at the time, but it was just... You gotta try a little harder sometimes. Uh, I probably uh, would go more like into like this dystopian sci-fi because that's what I read more. Um, and like sort of like the rebel trope, like the tropes that can go with the rebels. Like everyone wants to be Star Wars, you know, kind of thing. So a lot of so you get a lot of you know Deus Ex and that, and as I like to call it. Uh, T-A-M-O, T-A-M-O writing, uh, then a miracle occurs. Like, you get that, you know, you get that so much, especially in, like, the dystopian sci-fi when they're trying to, like, finally bring down the, um, you know, the bad guys for the final time. Like, it, it, like uh, Hunger Games um, was oh, terrible about it. I mean, I, I made it through that entire series, and I enjoyed it, yeah. but she Can we have a whole podcast dedicated to how terrible Mockingbird was? Yeah, maybe we'll just like do an episode of like like this is what this person did. This is why it fucking sucked. <laughs> I hated Mockingbird. I loved it. Was it. The, it, it was, was my favorite book in the series. Book I got through that I just wanted to shoot myself the entire way through. I loved it. I love the way that book. That, that's the last one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I I get that it was basically a genre switch. From the first two it was kind of the survival thing, and the last one. I've heard described as like torture porn, basically. It's just like, this is all the bad things are going to happen and you're going to enjoy it. Except I didn't enjoy it. I can enjoy the bad things if someone like Jim Butcher is writing it. But I can't with that because I didn't feel a damn thing when my favorite character died. So, eh. <laughs> See, I, I thought the way, especially the way the book ended... Uh, are we going to do spoilers or not? I feel like we probably don't should. Know. So we just don't I spoil. We have to. We have to. Yeah. So with the spoilers, way Katniss just alert. because with Spoil the things. with the way Katniss just got so fucked up by the end of the book, I was like, wow, this is really realistic. This is exactly what have happened to a seventeen-year-old girl if she had been thrown into the situation. You know, she yeah, she became the drug addict. She became the alcoholic. You know, and. The PTSD was pretty accurate, I'd have to say. Yeah, and I it thought was that just, was really good. Like, I feel she like I didn't believe it. She didn't pull off the ending because I didn't care when my favorite character died, which was Finnick, because he was the funniest guy in the book. But like, I really enjoyed her romance with Peta, and I was really confused when she tore that apart. And I then really hated that she was trying to get it at the end without the reader going through the portion of enjoying the romance again. So I felt like that was just really cheap. It was just like, oh yeah, you get the hand wavy romance, which fucking sucked. Like I thought the switch of 
obviously snow in um what was the stupid good person's last name coin coin is that the, the new president yeah the, coin yeah like i feel like she established throughout it more stereotypical name yeah like she established throughout it that they're morally ambiguous characters but she never established cat's point of view on them and then she just decided to abrupt like she wanted the twist to be cat siding with the opposite of you expected yeah but mostly she, she I mean, there was another thing she well, just didn't she never for a, a book that was first person point of view from katniss's point of view she never established her opinion on these characters she just abruptly changed face that is true i'll, I'll give you that one um mm. like she also, could have set it up but she didn't i hated how straw man the decision was to make another hunger games and oh, like God. it was obviously the wrong choice so why are they doing it in the second book but, no the um the last one it's like now we're going to do it to the bad guys it's like it's such a, such a straw man oh. thing on Coin's part that it's like of course she was going to be the one to die. Yeah. I still think that second book starting off with so we don't do this anymore, but we're going to do it because that's what I wrote the first time when Katniss yeah. got selected to go back in the legacy edition of the Hunger Games. Like yeah, but I I did like. The, like her teaming up with the mentor dude of like we're gonna get Peta out because he's a good person. I like that part. I don't even remember the second or third books. Just blanked my blanked mind. Blanked it. Um, I mean, like I can see the whole thing of your sister gets killed in the self-made false flag attack. Mm-hmm. But like, you just put so little effort into establishing that Katniss is even paying attention to these things that it, exactly like just all he needed to do in his, in the whole story was just put a couple lines in the chapter where Katniss is paying attention. Yeah. So, so that's a maxim that I, I live by when writing is that the amount of words you put into it on any subject in the book directly pr- relates to how important it is. Mm. There were no words describing her, her real reaction to her sister dying. No. So it's like it didn't happen. Did she ever mention her questioning of the current government? I want to say yes. It's been a while since I've read them, but I, I want to say yes. There was some of that in there where she was really just starting to see that like she had done all these things and it was no better. It was just someone I mean, else with the gavel, you know, so to speak. She's, she's feeling worn out and guilty at being the Mockingbird symbol for the resistance. But do they ever show that she's jaded by their message? I think so. I, 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 I want to remember, I want to say there was a whole thing about her and coin and like her just realizing that she can't do it. I like, or that person was terrible. That's my least favorite trope is utterly random twists in a story that don't really seem to have established themselves. And Shyamalan? Yes. <laughs> as much as, the, like, I mean, I love the movie Signs. It's a fantastic movie. Great mm-hmm. suspense and whatnot. But why the fuck would you invade a planet that's 70% water if you were <laughs> allergic to water? 
I like the explanation that it's just a, a comment on demons. That's pretty cool, but um, it, yeah, yeah, don't invade some place that's toxic to you. <laughs> At least wear a fucking spacesuit. <laughs> I mean, I can I can enjoy the movie. It's just, come on, what's going on? Yeah. Here? <laughs> All right. Are, so, are we done so, with tropes now? I well, suppose. What are some favorite tropes? I don't know if we've ever mentioned favorite tropes, because that's yeah. harder. Okay, I've got one. Epigraphs. The little things... <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> those little things of writing in the beginning of a chapter. I love those. <laughs> so, like, Dune did it... Uh, like, Sanderson does it all the time, and it's one of the things I like about him, even though there's things I disagree, but, like, he does it with, like, Stormlight Archive and the ancient texts. It's so much fun. So, um, now I have to do it in my story. <laughs> I loved, um, in particular, with Stormlight Archives, where the epigraphs are revealed to come from a relatively antagonistic point of view, where the whole time you're thinking it's a hero. Comedy. I think he's misborn. Well, well, oh god, yeah, he does it completely in Mistborn. But aren't a lot of the uh, epigraphs in Stormlight from Terravigian? I don't remember because it's been a long time. But I think a lot of them are the spoken words of spoilers, miss spoilers, Stormlight Archives. Everybody, turn off your podcast. <laughs> but there's comments from dying people that Terravigian has in his hospital. And right, yes. Oh, yeah. I remember that so now. Okay. You're you're sitting there thinking like these are really weird quotes that are somewhat out of place, and maybe they're good. But the ending of the book reveals that it's actually. It's like you're doing a great evil in order to get something yeah. good out of it, and I, I do like the ambiguity of what to do with that. But I'm completely for yeah. it, Gene, and what he's doing. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else you do in that situation. But yeah. yeah that's, that's a good series. I, I do recommend it to anyone, even though some of the magic systems and stuff don't make sense. Um, I think it's a good example bit. of epigraphs. And yeah, he does it like the epigraphs in, in Mistborn, which are giant hints towards the ending, which I think oh is really God. good. He spoils half the book in those epigraphs. Yeah, but you don't know it at the time when you're reading it for I the first know. time, and it's great. Which so, is, like, that takes a lot of effort to make, to function yeah. properly. I just read Control Point by Mike Cole, M-Y-K-E, and it's a modern military fantasy, which is what I'm trying to write right now. That's why I like, want to be exposed to the genre more. And he does the epigraphs in the beginning of every chapter that are things like pieces of legislation of how to deal with magic users, reports from soldiers on the fields of everything that's going on, and like uh, stances of Muslim leaders on how they feel about magic use. And it was so immersive that I loved it, and I realized I can do that in my own work in progress right now, and now I kind of have to. Nice. And I was talking to Colin about it earlier, and that's why he's laughing at me. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of using epigraphs to introduce the mindset of a character before you actively introduce the character, especially if he's going to be important in the long run. Yeah, you're talking about my stuff? Yeah, your boyfriend guy there. Yeah, uh, I don't know how much I want to lay out right now, but I, I'm, I do like that 
thing, so I'm probably going to end up doing it. I think the more important the character is, the more you get away with that, because you just create anticipation of who this guy is. Yeah, yeah, I think I can, like, thread him through the first book or two, probably, and then he actually shows up in book three, because obviously I have all the books planned out, even though I haven't written them yet. I was going to say, like, plan out all you want, but write the fucking things. I have been. I've been doing really good lately. <laughs> so, okay, what's your favorite tropes? Me or Jacob? Oh, I'm trying to think. I mean... Because normally when you think about things in tropes, you're you're using as in a derogatory sense, right? So I'm having a hard time coming up with like a trope that I think is positive. How about a trend then? A trend. Uh, stable boys waking up in stables to start off stories. <laughs> That's totally how my first book starts off. <laughs> Good trend, bad trend. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just like anything, right? If you can pull it off, it's good. It might be overdone, but if you can do it better than anyone else has done it, it's still going to be good, you know, in the long run. That's why, like, I don't really shy away from doing things that may be overdone. It's like, well, if I can do it, I can do it, and I might need to do it, and I don't really care if people hate it, you know. I mean, I do care if people hate it, obviously. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... I mean, in terms of, like, trends, I mean, you did have, like, the dystopian stuff going for a while, which was kind of cool for me, but a lot of it was terrible, so it's like, oh, God. Yeah, I, I dislike that so much of the dystopian things gets centered around teenagers because that's the feeling that describes teenage life. They get that, but I'm tired of it because teenagers are dumb and boring and all of the characters are blank slates for the readers to insert upon. Right. And, you know, but, you know, the, especially the classic stuff and like getting some of the uh, older things that are getting, you know, new light, uh, like Man in the High Castle was, uh, I'm still in, but the, the series on Amazon's fantastic. Um, so I've been enjoying some of that. I would like some actual sci-fi to come back. Because there really isn't any kind of sci-fi right now. Um, I mean, you do have some in the literary world, but, you know, in the movie realm and TV realm, there's really no, like, true sci-fi anymore, and that bothers me. Yeah, I guess, like, we had Star Trek, and can't think of much else, because then I've got more Star Wars movies, but it's hard to think of actual sci-fi stuff. The the only, like, um, the only sci-fi of recent, especially on television, has been, um... Oh, Battlestar Galactica. That ended like 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of young when that happened. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. For all the Office fans out there. <laughs> um, Which is also a podcast that you're doing. Identity theft is a serious issue. Do what? Identity theft is a serious issue. <laughs> yes, it is. Um... So, yeah, so I, I like that's happening. Um, I think you're starting to get more, like, techie stuff coming back, you know, because, like, Ready Player One happened, and that was pretty good. Even though it wasn't as good, Armada, also by Ernest Klein, dealt with a lot of really cool concepts. Uh, but it definitely wasn't the lightning in the bottle that Ready Player One was. 
for both I would recommend if you want to get into more like sci-fi techy kind of ideas okay Colin your turn on sci-fi is a concept <laughs> I've really only read Star Wars as sci-fi which creates the issues of how to define it. But most Star Wars novels really are high fantasy novels with a sci-fi twist because they focus yeah. on Jedi Knights and the magical abilities they can do. And yeah, sci-fi or Star Wars is much more fantasy than sci-fi. I mean, yeah, I mean, what do they call it? A space opera. Space opera, right? Which. Eh? Is... I thought Honor Harrington is a space opera, which, you know, it's not anything like Star Wars, at least in my mind, therefore that sounds kind of odd to me. I think, I mean, as far as I've ever heard, Star Wars is a straight-up space opera, which might mm -hmm. happen. One of the other things I've heard, and disagree with me if you want, is that space operas deal much more with the characters and oftentimes with fantastic elements. But the characters themselves are the focus, so a lot of the sci-fi aspects get ignored to focus on what the characters are doing, which creates a more fantastical element. Huh. So you don't really pay attention to the technology or what's going on there. You just see these characters are doing things, and you're using f science fiction as an explanation for what they're doing. That's... That makes it kind of hard to classify Honor Harrington, actually, oh, because God, yes. she gets... Have you read it? I don't know. No, I haven't. Okay. There's talking cats. They talk telepathically. She gets those telepathic abilities at some point because she has a talking cat herself. And there's sci-fi all over the place. He goes into extreme detail about the spaceships and what they can do and military tactics sometimes. And she becomes a cyborg at some point because she can't regen like everyone else and then... It's very political. Okay, okay, great. Now I don't know how to classify that. And this is not high fantasy? No, no. It's, it's future military, space military. Therefore, it's space. It's sci-fi, right? I mean, typically that's the way I lean. Like, it's a horrible focus. But when you look at something like steampunk, sometimes highly advanced technology is... Still fantastical. Yeah, I mean, steampunk seems to mostly be defined by Victorian-era clothes. <laughs> Architecture and whatnot. Right. Cinder Spires was awesome. So. Still, still working my way through that one. Jesus Christ. Hey, for, I'm, re I'm writing a steampunk novel, and I have never read steampunk as a genre. That's Read the steampunk book. <laughs> <laughs> but even, it's even hard to uh, to classify that as a uh, steampunk. I think uh, he's got airships. Well, yeah, they, but I mean, boats, it's... they fly in the air. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, it's a. I think it's a bit of a stretch to classify. Uh, they have hand cannons. As you know, <laughs> anyone who's read the book would probably laugh at me, but they have hand cannons uh, and talking cat. Come on. And talking cats. There's and it's butcher, so you know it's good. Spires. Yeah. Yes, you didn't know that. I haven't read it yet. But I, I had to have told you that there's talking cats. I don't know if you have. 
I that's straight up high fantasy. There, there's talking cats. And it's possibly just, you know, Earth really, really long time in the future to the point that the ground is uninhabitable. That's why they're in the spires. But there's electricity. They deal with electricity. Um, and, the, yes, there's, there's talking cats. Out of curiosity, I'm trying to remember the name of the series, but um, 10, 15 years ago, there was a series that was similar. The... Uh, it wasn't Cinder Spires, but the Seven Spires or the Seven Towers series, something like that. By Seven Towers rings a bell. Yeah, like they had um, stones, like crystal gems, that they used to perform magical abilities with, and the main character got kicked out of the spire down to the earth, and the earth was a northern frigid hemisphere where they got by on and he went back and performed cool magical things with his new gem that's very 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 skipping a lot of the fun aspects of the story it seems it's a children's book right oh god yeah it was um okay because it was like... a mid fifth or eighth grade whatever you call it children's book series uh, listen to this trophy sentence Tal is a chosen from the castle, and Mila is an ice carl from the ice. Yeah, I have no idea what that sounds, really means. But... That sounds like the story already. Uh, okay, it's called The Seventh Tower by yep. Garth Nix. Yep, that would be it. Okay. It's actually better than it sounds. I do enjoy the series. Though when I was reading it, we were only on like book three or four. Mm-hmm. He's actually one of the ones who... Well, 2000, so he doesn't take after Sanderson. But a lot of his magical stuff is very linearated. Very straightforward and is defined by abilities of the magic. Which is a trope in itself. Yeah. But we've talked about that one, so... So... Let's, let's move on from tropes and into the writing part of this podcast, writing podcast. So how to write well and also avoid tropes. Yeah, I mean, hey, tropes can be good if you do it right, because the, <laughs> the common phrase is ideas are cheap, it's how you execute it. That is the important part. So you just have to be good at writing, which is the hard part. So, Of course. So uh, what do you think that you are good at? In your writing, I would say probably uh, I feel like I do pretty well character development. I'm kind of terrible at dialogue, but actually building characters, and I feel like I'm decent at building world or world building at this point. Uh, that's coming around. I mean, Alex has read my stuff. I'm sure she's going, "No, you're not." But <laughs> I think you're going for kind of the softer type of sci-fi. Which is it's appropriate if you are going for softer type. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. But I feel like I do those two things well. Uh, yeah. Just don't do the thing that Star Wars does. Is that every planet only has one type of climate? Biome. Yeah. It's like this oh, is the God. desert planet. That's the green planet. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Should remember that in the tropes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I hate. 
single ecosystem planets. I think it's stupid. Colin, what do you think you're good at? I'm the least enthusiastic person about my own writing. But that's why I'm forcing you to think of something you're That's good why at. you're forcing me to talk about myself so I can encourage myself to continue writing. Because every writer needs to encourage themselves. Talk about it endlessly. That's <laughs> actually <laughs> when it comes to epigraphs. Um, Shut up. <laughs> I mean, as a whole, I think I can push myself to write well. doesn't mean I create quality content whatsoever. But a lot of people have trouble getting themselves to write, and typically I don't have that issue. Oh, that's good. Which comes from the next conversation we'll get to of Gardner versus Architect and whatnot. Yeah. Um... But I think also along with that is that typically... The stories in my head are formed well before I start writing. And, like, I'll spend days at work where I'm just sitting, sitting there numbly, not even paying attention to what I'm doing. And I'll just be jotting down notes of things I'm writing. So I'm very, very good at thinking of what I want my characters to do. And what they're... Like, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Google... Um, whatever that diagram program you sent me was. But I have created charts of my character's motivations and what, why they're doing what they're doing. You finally updated? Yeah, oh, God, I, I did that Jeez. a while ago. I was wanting you to do that for years. Of, it's more of a chart of all the major characters and who they like and dislike and why they would like and dislike them. But now that I've established that, I can... It's not even part of my plot line. It's just the ability to write a storyline and have characters interact with each other on thoughts that they've already established. So this character doesn't like this person for whatever reason, and when I'm writing it, this character will act this way for whatever reason. I don't need to stop and artificially... Oh my god, I'm so happy. I've been, I've been <laughs> working with you on this story for two or three years now. And you finally yeah. put everything in a chart I can read. The, I did a lot of color coding. But just the ability to take a bunch of characters who aren't main characters but are still going to interact a lot in the storyline and just be like, well, all right, so this character and this character are in the same room and I know ahead of time they don't like each other, so that can direct the scene. I don't need to create any artificial behaviors because these characters don't like each other. Okay, what's going to happen? Just write it that way. So you, you build the background and then you just kind of free write? Yeah, I mean, I know the way the plot's going. I know how we're going to get where we're going. But when it comes down to it and so these two characters don't like each other and it's going to be negative. Okay, why don't they like each other? Okay, they're in a room together this is the disagreement and this is why it's not going to work out the way most people would work things out. Yeah. Oh, this is cool. Okay. Yay. I'm, I have what I'm doing for the rest of the night because now I have, can give you even more feedback. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of it is just, 
as a very industry-based economy, which I'm still struggling to implement properly. These people don't like each other because they're economical par economical uh, competitors. So when it comes down to things, these people aren't going to get along. And now scenes write themselves. Yeah, that's that's always the fun part. <laughs> uh, so I guess if the things that I do well, to go back to the idea of what yeah. do I think I do well, I'm pretty good at torturing my characters. <laughs> Torturing any characters, really. The dinner scene is still pure torture. Oh, oh I, I gave up on that story a long time ago. I know, but that dinner scene is still pure torture. Are you talking about Destris? Yeah. Oh, God. Meeting with the apprentices and whatnot. <laughs> oh, oh the... God. Pure torture. Good. That's what I was meaning for it to do. Oh, um, no, it does its job. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I like... The Dresden Files, and there's tons of torture in that, and I think that's what makes for a good series, kind of as a marking of a good series. Like, if bad things happen, and you panic on behalf of the characters, that's that's a good thing you should read. And so I'm trying to come up with reasons that my characters are in terrible, painful conflict with everything else that's going on, and then the hard part is making it sound right. Like... I want to give my character PTSD. Now I just need to make sure it comes off correctly. And, and things like that. I feel like the more realistic things you go for, the harder it is to really make it feel authentic. Yeah. The more realistic you're trying to do it, the more restricted you are. Yeah. And things. But I'm still trying. Uh so, so now, what do you think you do badly? That's probably easier to come up with. Uh, I have a I have a hard time with dialogue. Like I don't know ex I, I don't know if it's like words or if I don't have a big enough vocabulary in my head as it is. But like good interacting dialogue, I I still have a hard time with. Yeah, that can completely change the tone of a story. Like whether you like it or not, is if you can pull off accurate feeling dialogue so that's definitely something that we will be talking about extensively and how to do right <laughs> Colin I mean yeah to make me self-conscious but when I'm writing I feel like when I'm writing dialogue I'm running free thought I feel like I write good dialogue in the sense that it's just the characters are saying what would come to their mind at the time. But oftentimes when I'm running a scene, I feel like I ramble on from point of view. So I struggle to contain uh, thought dialogue to what they would say at the time while cutting out the unnecessary thought process that shouldn't be part of their dialogue. Mm. So you kind of thought dialogue in the telling, not showing issue? Yeah. Like, I feel like I write good dialogue, and then I keep going and put in their thoughts into their dialogue where I should have just stopped. Yeah, knowing when to stop is a big thing. Yeah, like I, I, just, I just ramble onward sometimes with dialogue. Yeah, that's kind of a problem, too. show, not I mean, tell a lot of times. I mean, dialogue is hard. I don't think it's my worst thing. Um, but it's like I never know if it sounds right to anyone else. 
So it's it, it makes you feel very self-conscious. But I do think my worst thing is actually coming up with a decent plot because I, I want to world build. I have so much fun building a world. Right. I have what they call world builder's disease. That I will world build to the point that I don't write the story. But once I have a world or I have a magic system and things like that, and have characters, I don't have a plot. I very rarely have a villain. And that's a big problem that I need to, to fix a lot of the time. So like this story I'm writing, I have the villain, they're aliens. I don't need to explain a whole lot, they're aliens. <laughs> and that's what's saving it for right now. And then well, I'll just explain everything later. Deal with that question eventually. Yeah, but like in book four. <laughs> no, don't plan too many books ahead. You gotta it, write them first. I keep feeling that it's gonna end up being five books. That's just it's where everything falls out. I think we're going to need like a buzzer every time she mentions another book and instead of writing, she's planning other books. She's like at the like shocker or something. I have been working Stop. on this series for like two to three years now. Two years. Yeah, I'll say two years because I it just kind of happened. All of a sudden when I was working on the other story that Colin mentioned earlier with the dinner scene and I wrote everything down that I could just like get it out and then it kept growing. So I kept working it in and it just snowballed to the point that I have a pretty decent and detailed outline. And I tried to write a little bit last year, had some problems, don't remember what happened, probably just got lazy, which is also a problem of mine. And then just had to keep going a little bit in my head at the very least. And this year, this week, I finally started writing it out in large chunks, which I've been detailing a bit in the high fantasy Twitter. So. Nice. Yeah, the Twitter is uh, at high underscore fantasy underscore, just if anyone doesn't know that yet. Good. So. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, my way of dealing with my boredom lately, which is why I'm not going to buy any video games. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm actually taking some time off this week to like sit down and write. Because most, most of the time I have like, 40 minutes a day to actually write. Yeah, you write during your lunch break. Right. And so it's a really slow process. You so, also write by hand instead of on Scrivener like a decent person. And? <laughs> Scrivener is good. You should try that. I'll try it. It's just... um. Writing by hand, it limits what I can do, and so I don't try to do too much. Oh, so you don't edit the entire time? Right, because if, if I, I have the issue of I'm always editing. Like, I'll, I'll rewrite the same sentence nine times, you know, but when I'm writing by hand, I can just, you know, I don't have to deal with spell check and everything else, and I do all my editing, like, you know, I'll get it in dig into a digital format and do all the editing that way way and a lot of times I'll you know type out a whole lot but even even then you know I'll go back through my my digital hard copy with a pen and like make notes and write entirely new scenes and so yeah it kind of sounds like the uh, what you're doing by hand sounds a bit more like a an outline that you're just kind of freeforming which so we're going to now get into this idea of a gardener versus architect which is a term that I think George R. R. Martin designed of like whether you have a plan, which is like I have a very detailed plan and I love it, or you just kind of let it 
go as you're writing it and whatever happens, happens. And that's what the way you work best. So gardeners just kind of let it grow and architects design it. I've also heard gardeners termed as pantsers because they just write by the seat of their pants, but not very often. I mean, I definitely have, especially for me, I definitely have a, I know where I'm going, but I may not have the details figured out, but I definitely have a clear, like, a, you know, A event needs to happen, B event needs to happen, C event needs to happen, D event needs to happen. And then, you know, so, so there's some like free flowing in the middle to get there. But even then, I wouldn't say I'm like super gardener, I'm, but I'm not like really structured either. So, so I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Yeah, I have a feeling you're on the, the more gardener of the spectrum of the three of us. Because I'm pretty sure that Colin has more, like, the scenes are a bit more detailed than what you have. And, I don't know. It seems that way, at least. Now that he has a, a chart I can read. Thank God. I vary quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I thank George R. R. Martin for putting definitions in place for these because it gives someone like me the ability to place themselves in the line where I'm not I am not a pants pantser gardener like I when I wrote the first three novels I wrote I wrote very I never designed plots for them and I never planned ahead but that book was those three books were written in my head before I even started writing them and since those books, like, I can't write a story without having a general consensus of where it's going. So a lot of the time I have plans for stories and I'm like, Alex, I can't write these without input because I need to know what I'm planning here. Yeah. But I mean, when I'm coming up with the outline, that's when I just kind of let it, like, whatever happens, happens, because I need to be creative right now. And I don't have the idea. So that, it, that's kind of a, a hard part in terms of creativity. But then I put it all in a flow chart so I can see exactly what happens when and how everything affects each other. And it helps me just like sit down and go once I have it detailed enough. Yeah. Writing groups tend to force me to pause and wait until I can get feedback on concepts. And I have a lot of concepts, so... Yeah, but Oftentimes, that's something that waiting. I give you guys something, you give me feedback, and I'll store it for whenever I do the second draft, which has yet to happen. But um, <laughs> then I just keep going, and I just try to keep going, because the important part is to finally finish something, which I have never done yet. So I'm, I'm very much on the architect spectrum. I would say I'm architect as well. Like, I... I free write a lot, but rarely am I ever writing without a concept of where I'm going. Yeah. But it still surprises me, even as much as detailed things I can get, that when I'm writing, I get like the epiphanies of like, oh, this needs to happen now. And that makes perfect sense. And there's more things I need to add into the story now and go back oh, to the outline and fix it. Beautiful sometimes. It is fun. When you're in the middle of a scene and you're writing it and you get halfway through and you realize that a different characters' plot points line up so well that it's like this just goes together. I'm I'm done already. It's perfect. 
It doesn't happen very often, ever. <laughs> but it's yeah. nice. I, I do love writing the scenes where all of the lines on the flowchart meet, and it's a giant explosion in some ways, sometimes literally. That uh, the Those are just so exhilarating to write. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this was a... A thing I think is interesting, but a little bit more personal of what we have been writing. Uh, what is the favorite story that you were working on that you had to give up, and why? I was working on a story for a while. Um, I might actually circle back around to it eventually, but I had it loosely titled Watching Rome Burn. And like I've said before, I'm really into, I really love dystopia. And I wanted to write a story from the perspective of the evil, you know, someone higher, higher up in the evil empire, so to speak. And I wanted it to be that he never sees the, his empire as evil. He believes the entire time the rebels are evil. But Writing from Darth Vader. Right. So <laughs> sort of that. And uh, but even Vader, he turns, you know, in Jedi. So just I really but it was just it. And this was a while ago. And I I just didn't have the ability because because I wanted to work on two levels. I wanted it to be like, look, this guy is a good guy. He's just working for a terrible pe people. And he feels as though the people trying to take his life away from him are terrible but still also get across that no, the evil, the, this evil empire is evil and you just can't see it. And I just didn't have the, the ability to do that at the time. Maybe, maybe I would now, but I definitely couldn't do it when I was trying to do it then. Cool. Colin, do you have one? I did, but I lost it. <laughs> Okay, if, if you could think of it or something, I'll go. Um, so I guess it'd be... I'll interject if I can think of it. Okay. Uh, I guess it would have to be the story that I wrote the most of. I had a decently detailed outline of it. I knew where the ending of the book was, and I was just going to make it to the end. But the part of it was that it was a floating city, and it was isolated from the rest of the planet. And very high magic, and it was a bunch of fun to do, but I had a conversation about the world building with my husband, and since I had based the city on Venice, he described to me how powerful Venice had been, and if it could just float and go wherever it wanted, how couldn't it have like, taken over the entire world? And that completely undercut my plot because it was so important that the city was isolated from everyone else. I just, like, I can't do it. I had to just give up on it. I couldn't fix it. So. I might go back with the, the concept of the Flying City, because that was really fun. But yeah, I can't. It's simple. Yeah. So, did you think of your thing? Because I'm done now. <laughs> Am I the only one that relies on Scrivener? No, I, I use Scrivener. Okay. I can't write a story in, in not Scrivener. Not anymore. You talk about programs and whatnot, and I don't want to be a advertisement for Scrivener, but my God, I can't write without it anymore. It's good. And I still it, write everything by hand. Just the ability to create a storyboard in front of myself that 
puts everything I'm planning in as one image in front of me, I couldn't write without it. I think the biggest thing is uh, the fact that you can make you yourself unable to click on other things in the, the full screen mode. You can't go look up a, a word in a thesaurus or something without exiting out of that. So it kind of stops you from trying to edit things. But it's also, it doesn't have page breaks. Let's just let it like flow easier. You're not distracted by things like that. Mm. I love my Scrivener. <laughs> I, can't, I can't write without Scrivener anymore. I, mean, I still did school stuff in Google Docs and stuff, but eh. um, okay. So, yeah, we're talking about Scrivener. What are other programs that you guys use for help, like name generators or maybe map programs? If you try to build mm. one, I don't use any of those. I don't. Yeah, I don't use anything either. I'm not against it. I just haven't yet. I mean, the I'll occasionally look up um, when I was doing uh, Marius's stories. I would look up common Roman names at the time and just look for something that's easily workable into a fantasy name. And I only do that for major characters. So if I'm writing it and it's a major character, then I will just use a popular Roman name because I don't want to distract the character on something that's not natural. So if it's a major character, it's just an, a common name and nobody, well, I'm sure yeah. people will be thrown off by that, but not much. As long as like the, the theme, I guess, of the culture is kind of consistent, that'll probably work fairly well. Yeah. Um, but it's like I use name generators all the time, especially if I'm doing real world things, like with my military thing, that I need like, what is a name from this ethnicity or something? What is a name that matches that other name or whatever? I just need to come up with something that doesn't sound ridiculous because there's right. this weird like Venn diagram of like what is realistic and what is believable and what's entertaining and what you can pull off in writing. And they don't overlap fully. So it's like, I don't know, um, see, there's a, a generator that I use called Rinkworks, which is the uh, rinkworks.com slash name gen slash. And it's kind of like just a, a literal generator. You can even use like a small code to make it has, it starts with this syllable, it starts with a vowel, it has this many syllables, it ends with a vowel if you want. And like the fact that you can tailor completely made up smashes of letters to something that you want can make a fantasy name a lot better. Um, and sometimes when I try to like do maps and stuff, I try to find a mapping program, but a lot of times I want to do it by hand because it's more freedom, but I miss the undo button and I hate myself. Yeah. I mean, I guess at least especially for the first draft names really don't matter that much to me. Um, I do have like certain people who are named, but you know, I, I still have a guy who I'm literally referring to as Captain Blah. In, <laughs> and it, uh, and I, he's a fully formed character in my head. I just don't have a name for him yet, but I call him Captain Blah or Blah Blah. <laughs> just, if you yeah. read, read through my stuff, that's what it says. I would do that, but then there's this danger of it just sounds too right that he's Captain Blah. And you can't change his name because then it sounds wrong. So he's Captain Blah forever. So I try to 
find decent names that I can work with in the beginning so I can get accustomed to them, especially if they're made up fantasy names and I need them to sound and feel right. Which I can understand that, but like for me, especially when I'm bringing in a new character and I don't want to like, I don't want something to like kill my flow. I'm just like, well, screw it. I'll just, whatever. Just keep going. Just keep writing. That's what I do during the outlining. (laughs) Yeah. And my flow charts, I use a thing in Google Docs, uh, draw.io, and it's pretty decent in terms of flow charts in general, and it works fairly well when I'm trying to outline all my stories. I guess this is, I guess this like is like the one of the big areas of the gardener versus architect. Cause, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I, I have very loose outlines, nothing like what you, you know, at least what you do, Alex, so... You know, I'm just like, whatever. So, the, like, I'll start. I'll be like, okay, where am I? Like, I'll, like, read, like, the, life, the last page I wrote and, like, okay, well, let's do this today and just go. Sometimes I've thought it out. Sometimes I haven't. Yeah, things aren't so uh, freeform, I guess, for me because it's like I, I try to know what I'm doing. And if I don't, I go do something else until I do. It just works better that way. It means that it's much easier on me. And I feel like I get better quality that way. So, hmm. Not saying I probably shouldn't plan more, but at least right now I don't. I mean, it might just be the way you work because it's, there's a risk of if you try to plot it out and know exactly what you're doing, it kind of kills the fun for you. So even though it might cause trouble of Captain Blah, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah, and that's one of the, uh, like, I never even outlined in college, like, mm-hmm. term papers and stuff. You know, I would just sit down and write a 20-page paper, just what I did. And then they were like, hey, we want an outline. Then I, w- I would literally write the paper, then go back through and figure out what the structure was and make that my outline in turn. <laughs> yeah, that, that does work, but, um, like, when I had to do philosophy papers, I realized I can't do that anymore because I need the arguments to make sense. Uh, that's uh, that's done. I'm done. I graduate. It's done. <laughs> I just keep so much in my head all the time. I think it's kind of like Colin, where like he had this book written out, you know, before he ever put pen to paper, and that's kind of. I mean, I have a really good idea of where I want my story to go, and I've had it for a long time. So, like, I know what I want to write, but when I start writing it, and Alex starts diving into it, it just starts falling apart pieces that's usually when i think there's something wrong with my outline and go back to fix it (laughs) i love my outline (laughs) well i I think that's everything that we wanted to do for this episode okay so i guess we can do the closing stuff which i guess is how can you find high fantasy you go to broken jars at xyz you follow us on twitter and god i hate this plugging shit if if you're listening to the podcast you already know how to find the podcast well hopefully we get approved for itunes which i think we will um broken jars at xyz uh if you want to get directly from there um broken jars pod on twitter uh high fantasy has a twitter itself uh alex seems to be very uh up to date with that so she'll talk to you i guess um trying to think what else uh i'm at jacob ingles on twitter 
We have Broken Jars Broadcasting, podcast. Uh, 42 Podcasts. Uh, a week from today, I'm starting a podcast about The Office, which I'm very Ooh. excited about. Um, we will be going through the entire series, so it's going to be like a three-year podcast. <laughs> but whatever. Um, Shylock's Gaming is a part of Broken Jars. The yep. Dresden Files podcast is out yep. there too, which is now a part of us. So... Yeah, lots of lots of cool stuff for you. Yeah, and if you're still around, then you can um, you can go check out the artist that made the logo for us. Uh, you can his email is deathstalkernet at gmail and it was a pleasure to work with him because we got unlimited revisions, which I feel we abused. But we have a, an awesome thing now, and I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it uh, turned out really well. The music you can hear in the background. I can't remember the guy's name. Do you know? Do you remember his name? You never told me. Oh crap! That's my bad. I <laughs> will put it in... through the official email either, so I have no idea. I'll put it in the show notes. It's <laughs> my bad. But he's really good, and I'll be sure to to get the this. Is, this out. is what we cut out of things when we yeah. finalize our show. <laughs> but we don't edit. No one edits. No one edits. What? Oh god. No, no one edits because we're too lazy. We do everything live. And we just have to deal with it. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to deal with it. Jacob has to deal with it. I have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, you're the one that has to put it up on YouTube and stuff like that. YouTube and the website and all that good stuff. But, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to High Fantasy. We appreciate it. Uh, Colin, Alex, I look forward to do this every couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. this is fun. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.